Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. This will serve as our running back podcast. Uh, don't ever want to uh, start the running back conversation without denoting that this, in my mind, will forever be the Dalvin Cook position. But uh, with that, Bud, let's uh, jump into what Florida State has uh, on the roster, what the best and worst case scenarios could be for this position. We'll acknowledge what they've lost and what possibly could be this position group's future this year. Uh, an exciting unit, some really nice pieces, and also some, you know, I don't think you have to be too much of a pessimist to have a little bit of some some underlying concerns as well. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's get into this. Let's let's get into this talk. As is our usual format for these, what if she lost, what they bring back, what the coaching staff will ask them, how we think they'll do uh, at what they're asked, as the listener questions, and then also uh, – Basically, our thoughts on the ceiling and the floor of the position. But uh, I think we're both expecting a better year out of this group, Ingram. If for no other reason, than it would be very hard to be worse than, than it was last year. Some of that, not its fault. Some of that, perhaps its fault. Some of that, maybe coaching. And some of that, who knows, right? But this was not an effective group last year, despite the fact that they do have a whole heck of a lot of talent. And, and I'm always going to bet on talent when I believe talent is there. And so I'm going to bet on a bounce back from this running back group. But first, we need to talk about who we lost. So, uh, Jacques Patrick and Amir Rasul are the two names discussed here. Uh, Patrick, just a disappointing end to his career, uh, somewhat of a disappointing career uh, in general, not a lack of effort or anything else. Just couldn't seem to fully get on path, on track, and uh, was never a a perfect fit for kind of either system. Kid who had massive high school accolades and by all accounts worked as hard as possible uh, but it just never never really fully clicked uh, finished the year last year with uh, 108 carries 378 yards 16 receptions for 102 yards just a guy that you know it's it's why you got to sign as many as you can because for whatever reasons some of them just don't always uh, you don't don't quite get the full production out of people yeah it, it, it's sad that, that his career probably didn't go Exactly how he wanted, but he really did get basically every chance, right? Uh, he got a lot of playing time in his four years and, uh, you know, 108 carries for 378 yards, 16 receptions for 102. Just just not a lot of impact. And there is a bit of a cautionary tale there with backs who are that big, but who maybe aren't like that much of an elite athlete. And he did outrun guys in high school. So it was a little bit confusing as to what he would do, right? He wasn't one of these big backs who always ran over guys. He was able to run around them and, and outrun them. And I think Florida State always wanted to, to him to turn into uh, a player who could bowl people over. And uh, ultimately, he never did enough of that. As it turned out, once he got to the college level, he was not able to run away from people. Yeah, he he was a guy who tried to modify a system, certainly picked up a lot of physicality as he went through. Personal favorite of mine, just never quite the production level that you thought you might see out of him. So certainly wish him the best of luck. Currently an undrafted free agent, I believe. A guy that I think the vast majority of the fan base has nothing but uh, positive recollections of. Amir Rasul, talented back. A guy who always had really elite straight line speed, but it just never never really clicked and even with a, a small window of opportunity last year uh, you never really saw what he had around 10 carries or 45 yards or something like that last year 
a guy who transferred or at least entered into the transfer portal. I don't think he's landed anywhere yet, although I could be wrong about that. I think FAU was rumored with him, but I don't uh, – I could be wrong. And no use for us to, you know, mumble around as to where he is for 30 seconds. But uh, a guy that just kind of has fallen off the radar to an extent. Yeah, and I wish him well. I mean, it was always nice when I talked to him as a recruit, so – Louisiana Hot Sauce, bud, four years of us being able to brag on a fantastic product, great partner for us, uh, something that I use damn near every day, if not multiple times a day. Just want to thank them. This is our fourth season of working with them, like I mentioned, fourth season of position previews and everything else that we do. Hats off to the people at New Iberia. Thank you again for the opportunity to be able to work with you. But yeah, that brings us to a, a another uh, another change here. Let's go to what Florida State brings back because it doesn't really seem like the losses are are significant losses. I mean, at least not to me. You'd probably, I mean, in a perfect world, you'd prefer to have a, another scholarship back. So the, the idea that Rasul left, just something that you're going to have to have in the back of your mind when it comes to injuries. But you got a good uh, a, a kid that we talked about, a non-scholarship player as a walk-on, uh, which will hopefully let you kind of bridge that uh, period of time until you can bring some of the current day recruits that we've spoken of at length. But Cam Akers is certainly going to be the first name in the conversation here. Uh, absolute massive high school recruit, uh, a kid who came in, broke Dalvin Cook's freshman record for, uh, what, a thousand yards. And uh, on all accounts appeared to be, you know, one of the more impactful players in the country last year. And uh, his sophomore season just never never really got the traction that, that you hoped or, or thought it might uh, when you wanted the best for, for Akers. Look, it's not that Cam Akers can't make somebody miss in the backfield. and In fact, he had to do that quite often last year. But we, we can go to the David Hale stat here, I, I think. We had that lower on in our, our thing. But you think we can go to it now? Because it really is a bit of a table setter, I believe. Uh, I mean, it's a it's just a ridiculous stat. Absolutely. Look, we knew Florida State was very bad as far as line yards. That, that's yards the backs get where we can basically assign the, the value – to the line, but here's another stat that I think is going to absolutely blow your mind out there. If you're not a Twitter user, and we know about only about 10% of our audience actually uses Twitter, so you got to always remember not everybody's on Twitter. Here we go: rush yards before contact on first and second down designed runs against FBS teams. So basically, run plays, not scrambles or anything else crazy, against FBS teams. So no FCS first and second down. How many yards did you get total on the year before contact? Georgia Tech, 1,934. That seems pretty good. They were an option team. Air Force, 1,899. All right, pretty nice. Clemson, 1,579. Elite back, elite offensive line, and uh, elite quarterback who people had to respect in the second half of the year. You really couldn't. And receivers who were out of this world. Wisconsin, you know the deal there. Elite offensive line, nice back. Now, the average in the FBS was 798. That's the average. That's the average team. Number 128, so third worst in the nation. Akron, 318. Number 129, San Jose State, 186 yards before contact total. Florida State, two yards total on the year before contact. David said he actually had to go back and like refresh his screen to make sure that the, the database was not giving him an error. Now, his stats only go back to 2011 for this. In that span, 
only one other team has ever had less than 200 in a season. And they had 111. Again, Florida State last year had two. So not only were they the worst last year, they were the worst since this has been tracking by 5,000% worse. <laughs> like this is real. I'm sorry. Like that's it, it's, actually it, legitimately it, the math on that. It's it's hard to really comprehend or articulate uh, when you see a number like that. Although you're right, that is a, that was not just a uh, a numerical hyperbole that you threw out there. I mean, they were they were one more reverse getting caught, in, or they're, they're you know one more reverse getting caught in the backfield, or or just a, another one more one more run blitz are getting through, or heck, not like it run blitz run blitz Florida State a whole lot last year. You could really do whatever you wanted with your front four. There were one more TFL from not having positive yards before contact on the entire year. Here's the the greater stats on this. I would challenge our listeners while you pull that up to mentally go back and think about some of those fronts that uh, Notre Dame ran against you. And then think about the fact that on a season you had two yards, just ridiculous yards before first contact. (laughs) Absurd. Yeah, FSU kind of broke math last year. They had 253 design runs on first and second down against their you know, their D1 teams. They averaged 3.36 a carry, but 848 of their 850 total yards came after contact. Literally, two of the 850 came before contact. He said, again, I literally refreshed my browser and looked again because I figured that couldn't be right. It might be the craziest stat I've ever seen. I think that's that's probably true. By the way, that Wake Forest line that he quoted that had 111, the, the second worst he's ever seen, which is still you know a lot more than two, that was that offensive line that Wake had that had like no FBS quality players on it. And we said so at the time, if you recall. Remember, remember how bad that group was? I do, vaguely, but yeah. Four years later, they had a group worse than Tallahassee. But I, I got to tell you here, there's hope in this, in my opinion, because – well, because they still had 850 yards after contact. That means these dudes, who everybody's real down on, I'm not down on them. Because they made plays after contact. Now, you might say, hey, this guy, he doesn't know how to find the hole. He doesn't doesn't know where to look, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and there are some examples out there on film of dudes just kind of totally doing their own thing, which is not contraindicated to what was going on last year, where a lot of dudes were not in sync doing their own thing. But a term that we broke out probably about a decade now since we've been broadcasting. Remember the term expectation of protection? Absolutely. And that your quarterbacks yeah. had to have a little bit of that. They had to have some minimum baseline expectation of protection. <laughs> Can we apply that to the running back set? I certainly too? think you should. Feel like yeah. Expectation of a defensive tackle a yard and a half deep in the backfield when you get the ball. Yeah. Ridiculous. I forgot who it was. I had a, I had a Twitter argument, right? Shocking. About this, I don't know, maybe six months ago, they were like, oh, look, look how bad this, this, you know, the Acres missed the hole. And we'll talk about him specifically here in a minute. But he had no reason to think the run blocking would hold up. He had to be a magician from, from the word go. And I do believe there has, has had to be some like reteaching in practice this year, uh, simply because of, of that. And like guys, you have to say, hey, look, you got to trust this at least enough, right? Give us a chance to to block for you. You can't just be doing your own thing. Anyway, let's let's get into the individual players here and what what we like about them, what they might need to improve on. But is there a tougher position to evaluate last year than four stitch running backs on this squad? Because I 
I don't think so. Not not with the block in the head. Yeah, no, I think this, that stat is just when I first uh, had my f- first friend contact me today about that. He's like, I ran across this thing on Reddit. I wanted to talk to you about it. And I was like, Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna need you to email that to me because I'm I'm just not sure you. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure you picked that that up perfectly. It doesn't really make sense when you're reading off some of that. And it is one of those things that gives you an awful lot of clarity and maybe helps you to have a, a better idea as to exactly what the running backs went through last year and gives you a little bit more perspective about how a kid who averaged 5.3 yards a freshman year would have some doubts about him after uh, seeing that production fall to 4.4 yards per carry and 706 yards in his sophomore year. That's crazy. And yet, man, I feel like Cam, you know, like you said, 5.3 as as a freshman, all of a sudden that kind of drop off. Do you think he's lost ability? Do you think he's not in shape? Do you think he is not healthy? Because if, if you answer no to those three questions, and I don't know why on earth you'd answer yes to any of those, I don't see why he can't have a bounce back here relative to the bounce back and blocking, unless he's just totally lost his confidence in this offensive line. This is his money year. Exactly. The The question would be an intangible thing as to whether or not he's lost his confidence in the offensive line or is maybe starting to second-guess himself, or with the idea that it's money year, doing everything possible to try to hit as you know as big of a big of a carry every time he gets the ball in his hands. I was looking up lyrics as you were typing, or as you were talking there. Uh, lyrics, uh, learn to trust again. Like we we could we could play any number of songs here for uh, Cam. We could, but we uh, are hamstrung by some of the audio that we can introduce into the podcast by copyright. Yeah, but and there may be something to this, not the copyright thing, but uh, that too. But a, a certain like legacy. If yeah, <laughs> if you recall, Cam was a quarterback out of high school, and and he was the top running back or, or the number two back in that class, depending on, on who you wanted to listen to. But God, I'm just looking at these numbers here. You know he had a 29.8 success rate last year, negative 10.5% marginal efficiency, negative 3.18 marginal explosiveness. That those may not be intuitive numbers for you to digest at home. Just rest assured, those are those are real bad. You, you don't typically want to have that. I do wonder though, like, has Cam's growth been stunted a little bit because he was a high school quarterback? He needed it to get good teaching. There wasn't a whole lot of coaching going on in 2017, even when he when he had those records, you know, because like the guy who was there was was leaving, and a lot of the coaches were inviting. Last year, obviously, I think we can question how much, uh, at least to- the totality of the coaching that the offense was getting, and then he very clearly started to do his own thing on some plays and, and, and try to play hero ball at times. Not that I can necessarily blame him. Do you think they can get him right to hitting the holes now, like repeatedly? in the way that they want him to do it? Because if so, I, I think he's going to have a big-time bounce-back year. And, you know, like it's – it's. I guess I'll throw a bone to all the fans out there who think I'm, I'm too negative on the team this year. But if you can still find Cam Akers at, at 150-1 to for the Heisman, if they can teach him to hit the holes again, and maybe Clemson gets an injury or something or, or, or some kind of, – like I, I don't think 150-1 to for the Heisman is, is that insane a value for a player – of Acres talent if they can get him to to read the holes correctly to hit him and and to trust again. 
I think Cam is like you could coach college ball for 20 years and not have as physically gifted a running back for as Cam Akers. Uh, most people will never see anybody like that. Uh, if you're drawing up a, a perfect running back for this offense, I, I, Cam is not it. Doesn't mean that he can't be ultra productive. It's just a, a question for me as to how much of Cam's strengths they can mold into this offense. And I'm not saying he's a square peg in a round hole at all, but he's just not the perfect fit. Uh, and if you can get confidence in himself and confidence that uh, there's going to be some resemblance of a hole with his offensive line, then, yeah, I think Cam Akers can have – I don't know if he can quite hit the the peaks that he talked about at ACC Media Days a couple of years ago, but I, I think he can have a significant money season, and I don't think it's absurd to have the idea that Cam could top-end run for 1,200 yards or something like that. So I do wonder here, because the offensive line, we know that they're working on getting their double teams more secured first and getting that initial bump, and they've taken a much more fundamental approach this year, whereas I think one of the advantages that Randy Clements has as an offensive line coach over Greg Fry is that he saw the absolute disaster that last year was, and he knew sort of the baseline level that he needed to come in at and start working at. And one of the things they've really worked on is their double teams. They, they may not be great at climbing up to get backers. They may not be great at executing complex blocking schemes, right? They've, they're having to spend a ton of time teaching fundamentals. But but I do think they're going to be a better team up front as far as securing first-level blocks. And that has to give Cam at least a little bit of confidence, hopefully, if he, if he reps it enough in practice and, and can see it. And then it also carries over to the game, which, again, didn't happen last year. Uh, so there has to be some lingering doubt in his mind, most likely, and hard to blame him for that. But then we'll get to see, if that's the case, we'll get to see if Akers is able to to make some of these linebackers miss. One of the negatives about his game so far, in a, admittedly a bit of a limited sample set, it, it does seem like he gets tripped up uh, a little bit easier than than like a Dalvin did. And, and of course, Dalvin is a, a freak of a player that, you know, Cam's not Dalvin. But physically, if he can do that, he could easily be a guy to to rush for fifteen hundred yards potentially. So I mean, I don't know about fifteen hundred, but I think your prediction is is very reasonable there. We'll see. It's never going to be uh, as I said as I opened the podcast with this. It's never going to be easy to follow a fan base that has fresh memories of Dalvin Cook. But Acres is certainly exceptionally talented kid, and uh, if things go right, could could see a major year. Uh, as we both discussed, Kalan LeBourne. I mean, anybody that listens to this podcast in this detail, I'm just going to immediately think about the play at Virginia Tech and some of the things they did in the spring game. Obviously missed the rest of the year uh, with a what a kneecap and an MCL injury. So uh, a guy who's still kind of getting his way back to 100%. And I think, look, obviously was served a, a big un- injustice with the injury that he sustained. And... Um, I think maybe as far as fans' expectations, when you only see one momentarily like glimpse of brilliance, which is what that play against Virginia Tech is, I think it's real easy to kind of have that as the mental expectation of the kid every time he touches the ball, which, uh, hey, if he is, that'll be a lot of fun because you basically have like a modern-day, I don't know, whatever, fantastic prospect who can make kids miss in the field at a level that not too many other people on the roster have showed. But it'll be a little bit of a mystery as to what you get from LeBourne. As when we were playing the buy-or-sell games, uh, as far as production, man, this is as hard of a kid to pin down as anybody because I could see him having statistically a relatively disappointing year, or I could see 
Kalan LeBorn being a natural fit for an offense that's desperately looking for somebody with his skill set. Absolutely, especially if he's able to catch the ball well out of the backfield. I think getting this guy in space could really, really help. And I'm rooting for him to come back after that knee injury. That's scary. This is also his money year, right? If he has a good year, I don't think he's going to come or I would not anticipate him coming back. I had not asked him about this, but you can almost assume that a guy who suffered a serious injury at the running back position, if he has a nice year, should go to the league. But his ability to cut, like you said, and accelerate, let's let's see how, how that is. Uh, he looked decent in the spring game, and I have to imagine he's only better since then. Like you said, it's going to be about trusting that knee. That is hard for players to do sometimes, but, but sometimes not. I, I think he's going to get a lot of burn in this in this offense. Um, I know we have a question later about some of the uh, some of the pony package, and and yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I'm just excited to see this. I I don't think there's a whole lot of teams in the ACC who have a better uh, better one two punch at the running back position than, than Florida State does if he's healthy. You're going to tell me a kid that used a Lamborghini in his recruiting decision as a prop is going to make a, a wise decision and go ahead and try to monetize his value as quickly as possible? It's almost like there's no relationship between the props you use in uh, your recruiting video or decision and the decisions you make about your, your career. Like one is kind of set up by Bleacher Report for a TV moment. The other is hopefully a sound decision you're making with your family and your agent. Well, let's hope LeBourne's in a place to uh, to start collecting his paychecks. The, the, look, it's not like a, a massive revelation to me, but the more time I spend around this sport, the more that I think uh, I, th- I think a running back needs to start getting paid as quickly as possible. Maybe maybe that's a situation where they just play one year of college ball or whatever else, but not something that I want to get a side Did you see they want to form here. their own union? Uh, I did not know that, but I'm full. They should. They absolutely should. I mean, it's a four-year window for the vast majority of people that play that position. You better get your you better get your damn money. Yeah, absolutely. For some of these guys, I, I don't know they actually need college, right? Like, just just keep training, stay healthy, and and literally don't put the miles on your tires. Yeah, the whole idea of of tread on the tires is a is a legitimate idea when it comes to that position, and. Uh, Maybe it's a situation where you could go to go to Canada for a year, or receive some kind of lesser, lower level ball. But uh, again, a topic for another conversation. We'll uh, pause real briefly to thank our friends at Madison Social for doing this yet again with us and want to remind people as to the uh, Jacksonville tailgate. Hey, look, uh, we, we have transitioned pretty significantly here at this point to... Uh, not being able to describe <laughs> what the tickets are, but being able to stress to you authentically that there really aren't that many tickets left uh, at this point. They've sold out of food tickets. Uh, they were starting to, like I said, have a more of a capacity conversation rather than tickets sold conversation. They are going to have Proof 850, uh, Mango Wit, Natterdays, White Claws, air conditioning, all the things that are necessary for a first-class tailgate, and we very much hope you join us. Anthony Grant is the third running back that we want to talk about tonight. Pretty physical runner, nice little, uh, gives you a little bit of a variety when you're looking at all three of these players. Grant is the uh, kind of head down, uh, aggressive, looks to punish you at the point of attack uh, rather than absorbing a tackle. Guy who, in my opinion, could play probably about five or six positions on the football field, but uh, a guy who has, has shown some real flashes in practice and a real... Uh, It'd be interesting to see how they work somebody with this skill set into the offense that we've talked about. Yeah, I mean, look, here's the thing. The scariest thing to me is that they only have three scholarship running backs, right? 
So Anthony Grant's going to get some burn in this offense. The coaches like him a lot. He's a no-nonsense guy. I know his high school coaches liked him a whole lot. I don't think there's any reason why he won't get get some burn. It's just his skill set is – it's not that different than, than what, what Cam Akers gives you, except Akers is a, a better, more gifted athlete. But style-wise, it's not that different than Akers. Um, he might have a little bit better natural balance – as a runner, and, and like you said, I think he is a very smart player. You got to feel really good about the, about, about the trio here. My only real concern is maybe they don't have a fourth, but yet I, I do think they have have a nice walk on or two here. If you had to, that's just kind of the reality of college football. You'd like to carry four four scholarship backs. I, I think that sometimes you are probably going to have to to dip down and only carry three, and, and that that is a choice that they made to do uh, this year. It's a group that uh, you know you can have you can have some legitimate optimism. I think uh, the the David Hill stat is just something that I'm still struggling to really come to terms with, but it, it gives you some real uh, a real appreciation for what the backs faced last year, and maybe some optimism, uh, some some reasons for optimism with what uh, Acres can do in his final year, and possibly what LeBourne uh, can do with his. So uh, we kind of organically covered. Most of that, bud. You feel like we can uh, switch over to listener questions here? Yeah, uh, I, I want to talk real quick about a little bit about what the coaches are going to ask these guys, right? One thing that's really been emphasized, at least from what I understand, is spacing and your steps. And that's emphasized in any offense, but it's very important in this one that the backs have, have good attention to detail. They run so much RPO in this offense, right, where the back has to be ready to receive the ball or not receive it uh, and, and continue – to carry on his fake and and potentially after not getting it, uh, pass protect a little bit so the quarterback can throw the ball. Just and it's not not going to be much of a pass protect, right? It's going to be like a split second one there. But they have to give the same looks whether they're getting the ball or not. And so the spacing has has been really important. I also know that Kendall Browse does not want them to to uh, uh, dilly daddle getting through the line, right? He 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 wants those guys to explode through the line hit that hole hard, and then you know focus on making that second-level defender miss, take advantage of the movement created at the point of attack. I think that these guys, uh, in theory, can all do that. We'll see who, who wants to pay attention the most and, uh, and have the most attention to detail. But Bax and Kendall Bryle's system have been extremely productive, right? I mean, really productive. I, I have some, some numbers up here pulled up here because, of course, I do. And uh, let's start back with last year, uh, their top running back, Patrick Carr, 152 rushes, 868 yards. You think, eh, whatever, not that big of a deal. 5.7 a carry. Uh, marginal efficiency, negative 1.5. I will point to you, by the way, uh, Cam Akers' marginal efficiency, negative 10.5. 1.5 for the Houston guy, negative 1.5 for the Houston guy, negative 10.5 for Cam Akers last year. Marginal explosiveness, zero for the Houston guy. That's not that bad. Uh, marginal explosiveness for Cam Akers, negative 3.18. So already, I mean, last year, this is kind of a dumb moment. I probably shouldn't have to tell you that Houston's offense was better than Florida State's. But he has a, a real history of, of production with other guys, too. If he has a stud who's having an absolutely awesome year, and he's a lot better than the other players, and I don't think that's necessarily going to happen this year. In fact, I, I think Florida State has better depth than they did in the situation in which I'm going to discuss right now. But 2017 at FAU, he had a guy named Devin Singletary who heard his name called in the draft recently. 
301 rushes that led the nation, 1,920 yards, 32 touchdowns. <laughs> that'll, that'll work. I feel like that, that's that's pretty solid. So he, he has shown a propensity to, to stuff the ball in one back's gut if that back is much better than the others. And yet there's other years in which he's shown the, the propensity to spread it around a whole lot. In fact, I think one of the better corollaries here might be 2016 Baylor, right? Seth Russell was not like was not always the best runner of the football. He had 81 carries. He was a quarterback. The top three backs on that team, 185, 139, and 119 carries for uh, the, the previous year. They actually had four backs who ran for uh, like 3,400 yards and like 570 carries. So Willie Taggart wants to run the football. Kendall Bryles, you probably think of it as like a real high-flying pass, pass, pass attack, and he does like to pass the ball. But, man, if his running back is good, he will absolutely take and, and hand the ball off a lot. I mean, that to give your top four backs a combined 500-something carries in college football is is very impressive. And, and so he has shown a willingness as an offensive coordinator to do literally what will work for his offense, be it pass the ball all the time, or run the ball all the time, and, and you got to hope that they get uh, they, they get off to a good good start here, and can be a, a good team running the football. Some impressive numbers in that uh, the idea that he would give the back what uh, three hundred one times the ball in one season that's uh, that is more than I would have realized, and certainly you just let you know if there's a if there's a workhorse to be found in this group, opportunities are there, and it's not something that maybe schematically doesn't uh doesn't fit in an offense it's uh and also an awful lot of variance he'll he'll share share the ball if that's needed as well so a good look at the numbers uh as as it is most of the time that uh what you bring to the table there you know something about this football information game sir i'll uh tip my hat to you there <laughs> thank you sir uh, uh make sure to watch uh make sure to watch me on twitch resolution home loans is proud to be a sponsor of the Nolcast for yet another year and to help bring you these season preview episodes, and hopefully make your August a little more enjoyable. They're also here to help you find a good home loan. Mine is through Resolution. Almost 30 NOLCAST listeners have now used Resolution Home Loans to find their mortgage. That's the key. Working with Shannon Young, great customer service, great rates. He'll walk through the process, 844-FSU-LOAN, or visit FSUHomeLoans.com. Listener questions, maybe? Let's do it. Let's do it here. Um, a little bit of a a broader question here, uh, and we'll start with that. And that is, can a power run game and a spread offense coexist? Clemson, pretty power run game. They're real spread. I mean, they're in they're in uh, three and four wide receiver sets all the time. Yeah, I think I think because that running back is so that that people just look at the back and not necessarily associate that as a, a power game, but you're absolutely right about that. How about uh, how about Ohio State? They've been pretty damn spready and pretty damn powery. Bama's out of the spread pretty much all the time now. You don't see them in two tight end sets anymore. They're pretty powerful as a run game. Who else do we want to go to here? Um, Michigan's going away from their traditional pro-style sets in college football. They're actually using space effectively. They're still, they're still a power run game. Let me see. Oklahoma, you, you feel like they're a pretty good power run game? Oh, that's what I'd classify that as. Yeah. Uh, Texas, maybe? There's a couple good ones out Same there. Same guy who, who, had, who was the architect of the Urban Meyer offense but when they won the title there at Ohio State, Tom Herman. Georgia, I would classify as more of a traditional still, right? Uh, but those are those are largely largely going away. And we'll have to see. I bet you they're going to be more spread this year 
than they've ever been. Uh, their their new offensive coordinator is, uh, is James Coley, actually. Oh, uh, Florida under Urban, very very spready and very power run game. So, yes, this idea that that a power run game and a spread can't coexist is pure nonsense. Plus, the the one I really probably should have mentioned, Baylor, and they did it without an elite offensive line when they were at Baylor. Granted, they weren't facing quite as good defensive lines as you see in the Southeast. But uh, that that's a question I feel like we would have gotten five, ten years ago. But if people are still asking it, we can still keep addressing it, right? Absolutely. Another question here that I think I know the, uh, the answer to uh, prior to us jumping into, but when you throw names like this at me, uh, nostalgia takes over and I tend to throw them into the show. Who would be a better running back in the Brawls offense, Warwick Dunn or Greg Jones? I'll probably take work done because the versatility, the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield and and the quickness. But man, Greg Jones uh, was was no joke. And his acceleration for his size, especially pre-knee injury, whew, man. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. Ridiculous football player. And work done. Probably the probably the best small back uh, pass protector I've ever seen at the professional level. A lot, work done was more than just a, a joystick type player. Really well rounded. If you ever want to go back and rewatch uh, some of the more historical games, go go back and watch work done in the first half of the '96 game versus Florida. That's a guy who's not necessarily juking people. He's breaking tackles with physical running. Uh, just a a much more well-rounded back than people give him credit for. And, yeah, if I had my choice, I'd probably have to take work done first. But, like I said, two names like that, they tend to uh, tend to make the show list. Uh, next question here is, does Kalan LeBourne end the season with more carries or catches? All right, so this is actually interesting. You want to know who was the leading or how many catches the top running back had last year for uh, for Houston? What if we modified the question to overall production, whether it comes from carries or... I'm down. Yeah. How do you think that changes it up? Like, I think it makes it I think it gives it at least a chance. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he's going to catch more balls than he carries, but I, I think at least uh, when you break it into production, it makes it a little bit more of a legitimate question. All right. So uh, the top running back who caught balls for Houston last year, you want to guess how many catches he had? 24. Three. Oh, good. Okay. So, previous year at FAU, the top running back target had 24 targets, 19 catches. After that, the next best guy, seven targets, seven catches. Prior to that here, pulling up the receiving uh, stuff again, the top running back target in 2016 for Baylor, three catches, two catches for Terrence Williams, two catches for Shock Linwood. Yeah, so a combined six catches for their running backs in the entire season in that year. And then uh, nine catches for Shock Linwood in 2015. And they had a guy with four and a guy with two and a guy with two. It's pretty safe to say that uh, the Browse offense does not focus, at least in the four years in which he has been an offensive coordinator, does not throw the ball to the backs very much. They're generally either getting the ball or pass protecting. So, to me, this is a slam dunk, assuming this trend continues. And even if they're on the upper range, right, of, of Browns, like let's say he, he gives LeBorne, maybe LeBorne catches 25 balls, which again would be pretty extreme. He's still going to have more rushing guards than, than he is receiving guards. And that would be a, a pretty extreme amount of uh, catches for a Kendall Browns offense. That, 
that stat, I, I'm glad we brought that up. That, that kind of surprised me a little bit. You know, like I, I knew that they didn't do it as much, but I didn't know they didn't do it to that extent. So I really appreciate the questioner asking that. Yeah, the three is uh, the three is a, a much lower number than I would have thought. More in line with what the the overall target was from the next year. But yeah, that gives a gives a good idea as to what he's done historically there. Uh, with Cam and Kalan, is this the best FSU tandem uh, since the 2013 backfield? No, I think I would rather have Dalvin Cook and me. <laughs> right? I, I'm sorry, man. I, <laughs> no, I want Dalvin Cook and I mean, try to think who was with him on that. Who was with him on the 14 team? Was it? Uh, it wasn't Carlos, was it? Yeah, I mean, I would go Williams and Cook. No, I think Carlos was gone because he had no carries that year, or was he back to playing defense? I'm trying to think. No, doesn't Carlos catch the the 2014 Clemson ball, or is that Notre Dame? I think that's Notre Dame. 2014 rushing stats here. Yeah, no, it was Carlos. My bad, I was clicking on the wrong thing. That's that's great podcasting, but yeah, uh, Cook and Williams are a better combo than than Acres and LeBorn because the one com- the one combo has a guy named Dalvin Cook, who was the best running back in, in the state of state of Florida history, or well, excuse me, at least Florida State history uh, by a lot. We're excited to be doing these previews, and we're excited to tell you about Travis Johnson, attorney at law. Travis Johnson is one of two, only 280 board-certified family law attorneys in the state of Florida. That's out of 110,000 licensed attorneys in Florida. There are a lot of them. He's one of the best. AV rated. He's on super lawyers. He's taught university classes. He's presented at CLEs. He has a statewide practice based in Pensacola, but will come to you anywhere you need in the state from a small family law matter to big complex family law litigation. He's there for you. Also very experienced in, in appellate work. But remember, appellate work with family law can be difficult to win. Travis wants you to win the first time. 850-435-9919 to get experienced quality family law representation. Travis Johnson of MetterJohnsonLaw.com. Okay, uh, next question. I guess I'll ask it so you have a chance to answer and I will stop st- stealing your answer. How much 21 personnel... Do you see uh, for FSU running backs getting both Cam and LeBorn on the field at the same time? I'll lose the the 21 part of this and just focus on uh, how much they get Cam and Kalan out there. Uh, talked about the uh, pony look earlier in the podcast. Uh, always something, if you listen to podcasts for a while, something I've been fond of uh, with some of the options it gives you and what it forces the defense to do. Uh, I'd love to see it. I I would think that it would be uh, a little bit of a, uh, like it'd be a good way to maximize your best talent, but I don't know necessarily that it fits with uh, with what Browse has done historically. It all depends, I think, on how much he likes these receivers and tight ends and how much he likes the pass protection. It, I will say one change I expect for the offense this year is more max protection. So people out there are saying, hey, you know, why don't they keep more blockers in? And they did that some last year, but I don't think they did that enough. To me, that was that was one of the more legitimate, fundamental like scheme and tactical criticisms of the staff last year. They should have, have done max protect more. I agree. Uh, I think you'll see that more, and one of the ways you can do that is by, by keeping two backs in the backfield. It also could potentially help you to get more uh, base personnel looks from defense, which thus allows you to single up uh, potentially one of your one of your three receivers on a safety. And I feel very good when, when Florida State receivers are singled up on a safety. So I think we'll see it more than he did at Houston and, and more than he did at FAU. 
Ingram, do you think that you will see the wild cam again this season? Yeah, I think you see it. I've bored people with my opinion enough that I, th- I think that if it had been deployed better the first time that you would have seen it a lot more frequently last year. But, uh, I mean, do you see a ton of it? No, I don't think so. But I would I would be surprised if we go the the entirety of the year without some kind of uh, you know dynamic look that where we try to maximize what Cam can do physically. And never a great quarterback, uh, but a guy that can, can throw the ball pretty well and wouldn't shock me to see – us uh, run one or two plays that we just let up and have Cam throw the ball downfield as far as possible. I'm I'm right there with you on that one. Okay, uh, do you think Browse emphasis on A and B gap running? So that's between the center and guard, and between the guard and tackle, as opposed to you know C gap. Do you think that emphasis will uh, help the run game have more production? Well, uh, I think their their guards are better play are better players than their tackles, probably depending on on what happens there. So yeah, I think that that definitely could help. That's that's my take on that. I think it's more just the overall holistic coaching, getting everybody to work together, having the offensive line be better coached, hopefully a little bit healthier, that that could help the run game be better. I still don't think it's going to be some amazing run game simply because I don't think the talent up front is very good. Remember, Josh Ball and Dickerson and Minshew are guys who should be starting on this roster right now and they're not here or not playing. So you got to kind of have to keep that in perspective when you think about who's going to be blocking for these guys. But yeah, I I think there's a possibility that could help. You got anything on that or you want to go to floor ceiling? Man, with this uh, type of offensive line, I think the idea of getting to the point of attack is uh, as smart as possible and a gap makes sense to me. Love to see what it looks like, but more or less I share your thoughts when it comes to that. All right, uh, so ceiling. Two really talented backs, obviously limited by a not talented offensive line in front of them, but I still think you could have a pretty decent run game, maybe a run game in the top half of the ACC, I think, as as your ceiling. Is that crazy of me to say, I guess? I, I don't know. You, you think they can they can get there? Let's, let's talk about real quickly here. She probably should have brought this up to start the show, but uh, no time like the present, last year, their, their uh, rushing S&P, you want to take a crack at what this was? Not good, by the way. I'll give you a hint. Not not good. Not good. Yeah, I, was, I wasn't thinking it was, uh, it was too positive. <laughs> what was, was it good? exactly? Yeah. Uh, 114th in the nation. <laughs> okay, lovely. Right in line with a lot of other things associated with last year's offense. Yeah, uh, also 127th in marginal efficiency rushing and uh, – uh, 80th in mar- marginal explosiveness rushing. So uh, more explosive than efficient. Offensive line gave him a, uh opportunity rate of only 40%. You don't really want to have an opportunity rate under 45 or 50%, so that's not very good. Mercy, they apparently were only 125th in stuff rate. Thank God for the FCS game that they played against, against Sanford. But 114th last year, keeping with our advanced stats idea here, I think that they could go – from 114th to like 50th? No, but maybe 60th, I think. 114th to like like 60th, barely like like barely in the top half of the nation. Yeah, yeah. If we're talking best case scenario, I could see 48 somewhere. I mean, right? Uh, that is about that's about the most optimistic I think I could get for this offense. Somewhere between 45 and 50. 
jumping 78 spots would be pretty optimistic here. Would be pretty damn optimistic. Yeah, exactly. It's not as though I'm uh, underselling progress when I put us in, the, in that part of the country. Now, as far as the floor of this group, some concerns, right? We have to try to separate these a little bit from the offensive line, but, but it, it is hard to completely untangle those two. Somewhat of a concern. They only have three scholarship backs for this year, so potentially a concern there. If injuries mount, you could see an offense that I still think even if you get some injuries, that just because of the the better blocking up front, you're going to have better running back play. So I will say that their floor is like inside the top 90. That'd still be like a 25 spot improvement. It's a little significant improvement. Yeah, it is. It's uh, uh yeah. I don't. Not to be redundant, I'm right there with you. I may I may have the worst case scenario being slightly darker than you do, but I, I think we see a a level of improvement uh, regardless. And I'm not more than maybe ten spots uh, further behind nationally than you are. So uh, not a not a major difference in opinion. Awesome. We'll transition over to a little opponent preview here, bud. Time to look at the uh, Wake Forest Demon Dinkins. A game last year that Florida State, you know, you just go back, you look at the box score, you look at the final score, it would tell you that Florida State uh, won comfortably, and I'm not arguing that they didn't. Uh, I'll also tell you that the first quarter was not indicative of a team that was going to win that game comfortably at all. It was a dicey situation. Uh, defense was giving up a lot of yards per play. Offense kept putting them on the field. Uh, your quarterback wasn't in a great place. And uh, almost seemingly in a series of one to two plays, the game turned on a dime. Francois ended up having his best day of his career. Cam Akers had a nice little statistical day that included a 60-yard touchdown run. It was one of the better wins of the season for Florida State. So we'll we'll transition from, uh, from 18 to 19 here and try to give you some kind of idea as to what this year's game might look like. Absolutely. I think this is going to be a, a really – Tricky game for Florida State. Like, kind of like much like I have a lot of enthusiasm over playing Louisville and NC State. Wake Forest is a team that I'm, I'm kind of sneaky high on this year for for a number of reasons. I, I don't think Florida State played Wake Forest at, at Wake Forest's best last year. They, they caught Wake, in, in my opinion, at, at the right time, which, hey, that's good because they caught a lot of teams at the wrong time last year. So it was good to catch some at the right time. What? What do you need to know about Wake Forest? Well, I expect them to make a bowl again this year. Last year, they had a whole lot of quarterback uncertainty. This year, uh, they actually have a lot of quarterback depth. They have both Sam Hartman and Jamie Newman back. Both quarterbacks are capable runners and and decent throwers. This offense is so annoying to defend. I mean, I'm not saying it's like impossible to defend because it's not, but it is annoying to defend. They, they, they kind of peck away at you. They run an incredible tempo. I mean, what was their tempo last year? And that's with quarterbacks who were pretty banged up last year. They were uh, pretty incredibly here third in the nation in adjusted pace, despite the fact that they did not, uh, they didn't have much consistency at the quarterback position. This team operates really at that blistering pace. They have good quarterback depth this year, but not necessarily great like proven depth, right? I don't know that they have anybody who makes you say, oh my God, like this guy's a superstar, but they both should be better. I mean, they, they're they're older. They, they have experience. One, one's a sophomore now, one a junior. Um, both did a pretty good job of avoiding interceptions, 27 to 12 combined ratio last year. They did take a, a fair number of sacks. I, 
I kind of wonder, like, how much of that is due to basically their offense, which is based on it's a lot of RPO stuff. It's a lot of holding that mesh point for for a real long time. You know, that should be should be something that's kind of interesting to track. Are they better this year when they get in passing downs? When they're in standard downs, I feel like they do a great job. But in passing downs, we'll, we'll kind of have to see how they do. That that should be a pretty important thing in this game. And and they oftentimes stay out of passing downs because it seems like they're never getting negative plays on early downs, right? That They've got a running back who, man, he he's perfect for their system. If anybody remembers last year's game, uh, at the end of the first quarter, which is, you know, obviously it's not the largest sample and you can have some things that really skew numbers, but still, it's a significant mile point in the game. Uh, at the end of the first quarter, Wake Forest was on track to run 164 plays. When you say this is a hyper-tempo offense, this is like the most hyper of hyper-tempo offenses out there. And when they get it going, they can put you on the ropes and they can pretty much gas out a defense. To do that, you've got to have a quarterback that uh, that knows what they're doing. you got to be able to you know, make use of pieces. Uh, like Greg Dortch, this is such a big loss for them. Uh, so it would be interesting to see some of the pieces that they plug in here and what they're able to do. But, man, Wake Forest, watching that offense, it's everybody kind of wants – or not everybody. So many people want to run pace and want to kind of put pressure on a defense. I'm not sure that there's anybody in college football that wants to run as fast of an offense as Wake Forest does. It looks like a fire drill. I mean, like, like they're like rushing back to the line immediately. Although I will tell you this. There are only two teams who, who ran at a faster pace than them last year. The offensive coordinator for one of those teams is named Kendall Browse. Mm-hmm. Houston was actually second in the nation last year in, in pace, incredibly. I don't know if they're going to be that fast. That 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 was kind of extreme, and that team was, was very used to playing up-tempo back from, from the Herman days. But still, yeah, this team is, is incredibly fast how they operate on offense. Kate Carney, their running back, it's just the efficiency. Like, he doesn't break big runs. I'm not trying to be all, like, uh, what's the word here? I'm not trying to stereotype Kate Carney as, as, like, a big white running back. I mean, he's happy to put his head down and get four yards, get three yards. Yeah, he, he doesn't get stopped for, for loss almost ever. He gets you those those three and four yards. Wakes usually in like second and seven, second and six to where it's like, okay, like is that first play really that successful? No, but like you're still in a distance where we actually have to care about the run fake a little bit, and that's annoying. And you know maybe he'll hit us with the with an RPO, and and it's just it's tough uh, to defend these guys. But I do think, like you said, losing Greg Dorch is. That's going to be tough. They, they have some other receivers who are good. Sage Sherrod is good. Scotty Washington is good. But, man, Greg Dortch had 125 targets last year. <laughs> like, how many games do Wake Forest play? 13? And they had 125 targets. The, the winners of what is maybe the best trophy in sports. I would encourage anybody to Google the uh, – the Birmingham Bowl trophy. May, may Florida State fans never become uh, familiar with it from firsthand perspective, but uh, from afar, it's quite magnificent. I mean, looking at this, 125 targets, you're talking about almost 10 targets a game. And that's like, assuming Wake was, was running about 80 plays a game, you're talking like one in every eight plays went at Dorch. I mean, that for a receiver, 125 targets is a ton of targets. 89 catches, 1,078 yards, Probably the most explosive guy on their team. Really good like at, at, at the jet sweeps. He, he was just tough to cover. They would find ways to get him matched up on safeties and backers. 
Florida State did an okay job with him in like later in the game. I think he rolled his ankle at one point too. He did, but I'm not yeah, he did. totally sure on that. He did. Okay, because his numbers in that game were not were not that incredible. He only had four catches for 24 yards in that game, and most of that came fairly early in the game. I just, man, I'm not saying this offense won't be good. There is a player everybody should look out for. His name is Nolan Nolan Grau, G-R-O-U-I-X, and he has some of like, the best high school receiving numbers you will ever see. I think he's going to be a real pain in the side of all these ACC teams for a while. I'm just not convinced they have somebody who's going to replace Dorch quite as well. They might be better at tight end. They might be better at their outside receivers. But like Jakari Robinson, maybe, but I'm just not totally convinced on that. Kendall Hinton, who used to be a quarterback, I think, maybe, but I'm just not convinced. Yeah, I, I think that, that Dorch is a legitimate legitimate loss for them. But I am projecting a, a bit of an increase <clears throat> in terms of their production on the offensive line. Uh, I think their interior, somewhat of a question, but they should have a really nice tackle tandem with Justin Heron and, and Jake Benzinger, two guys who are seniors who have started a lot of games, 38 and 27 uh, combined. Last year, Heron only started one game. I think he was hurt. They also have Nathan Gillum back. This should be a pretty veteran line. If they can get the interior figured out some, they should be really good at tackle. And uh, and that, that was a problem for them last year a little bit because Florida State was able to sack these guys quite a bit and, and create a lot of pressure. So I, I think this offense is going to be better. I think that there's a bit of a ceiling on the improvement, though, just because of how good Dorch is or, or was. Yeah, very fair. Uh, Benzinger and Heron are the uh, just from reading a couple Wake uh, people's preview what they think uh, will be their tackles, and ultimately Gillum might move inside to give them a little bit of support. And what you're talking about trying to fill out the interior of that offensive line, but uh, a, a good team with some good pieces and a program that's uh, kind of getting built there in its coach's image, but uh, not sure quite the pieces to to defeat uh, Florida State in it, whether it be in in Winston Salem, Tallahassee, or wherever these two teams meet in the near future. No doubt. All right. Uh, so now we got to talk about defense for Wake Forest. Last year, defense was not really a thing that Wake did very well. Last year's Florida State team put put thirty eight on them. One of the issues that the, at Wake Forest on defense had last year, they were very bad in the red zone. Their points per opportunity, so when opponents got inside the, I think, the 35, they were 125th in the nation at that. That's that's not very good. They also allowed some big plays. Their, uh, their sack rate, though, when they got people to passing downs, that was kind of the real thing that, that stuck out to me when I'm looking at their statistical profile. They were 107th in the nation. That is so frustrating for a defense. You know, when, when you get a defense – or when you get an offense backed up, you get them in that like third and eight, third and nine range, or that second and ten, and you're not able to get home and, and get pressure on the quarterback. Last year, they just their D line just did not win one on one battles with opposing offensive linemen, and throughout the Florida State game, that was mostly true, right? Like I think they got they got some pressure on Francois early, but then it got mostly fixed, right? They just don't have guys up front, I think who are that big of difference makers. Now, they do have some dudes who have a little more experience now, but they also lost some guys, you know, last year. We'll see how, how transfer Miles Fox and the tackle they brought in does. Carlos Basham Jr. is basically their stud on the outside. He had four and a half sacks last year. He's 6'5", 275. I would think as a junior now, he's going to have a big year. They were already pretty good against the run, but I'm just not convinced that they had the answers at DN to – 
to create a better pass rush. Maybe they do. Maybe I'm wrong. It just might have to be to come from for being better at blitzing. A pretty seasoned uh, secondary when you look at what they have on the outside. Uh, some questions at safety. This is one of the programs that I kind of enjoy following from afar. Maybe it's because the idea that I don't think Wake Forest is a real, you know, threat to Florida State more times than not. But Dave Clawson's a guy that's gone to uh, Fordham. I think it was zero and eleven in his first year, ten and three in uh, year four. They parlayed that into Richmond, which was three and eight in year one. Ended up going eleven and three in year four. Bowling Green two and ten in year two. Ended up being ten and three in year five. And then Wake Forest is taken over three and nine in year one and built a program to eight and five last year won the Birmingham Bowl he's a guy who you know he's a great program builder and it'll be interesting to see what he does with Wake Forest but uh, this is one of the few teams and maybe I'm being overzealous here that I think just the difference of athlete is uh, something that'll continue to get Florida State by you got to survive this game it is going to be a tricky game I think but it is a game that I, I, you should win because I, I don't think that they're they're a team that's going to overwhelm FSU in the trenches. And any game that FSU is not overwhelmed in the trenches this year, I, I'm going to project them to win because I do have faith in Kendall Browse to score points. I think that FSU's defensive talent is very good. And I just don't think Wake has the difference makers up front to screw up FSU's offense enough. Now, they'll probably score some points in this game because that's they're, they're – they're a decent offense, but I, I would favor FSU in, in this game. I know some of the metrics out there kind of like like Wake to win this. I don't think this is a slam dunk win for Florida State, so I probably I think you like FSU here even more than I do. But but I would favor them here. And, and if you're going to have the season you want to have, if you're going to have that eight and four, nine and three, uh, dare I say this is one you got to get. So if Clemson whips you by thirty or forty or 28 or whatever, you got to be able to turn around quickly and get your mind right and then go win this ball game. Because if you let Clemson beat you twice, you come out flat, Wake jumps on top of you, uh, then all of a sudden they're you know, running the ball and all the they're oh no, they're pulling it out and uh, they're throwing it over the top and, and then they're up by two scores and you got to get your mind right after Clemson. So in my opinion, you really kind of got to have your team realizing kind of what Clemson is and it, you got to preach the just one game thing. For Clemson, so that you don't let let them beat you twice. Because if you don't let them beat you twice, you should be able to win this ball game. Yeah, it's a you, you make a good point, and it'll probably be you know maybe a noon game in in Winston Salem, and uh, it's just unlike any other kind of atmosphere that that you encounter. And it's just a different situation. You gotta. I don't think Florida State's good enough, uh, quite frankly, to let any team beat it uh, beat it twice. But I certainly know what you're talking about, and. Uh, am confident in the game but you're right this could uh this could be a problem as well but it's a it's a game that you absolutely have to win if you're talking about having a, a season of progression when when you come at it from a Florida State perspective so here's something to think about right Wake Forest might be undefeated when Florida State comes to town they open up at Utah State which is pre- pretty kind of a coin flip to me then you go at Rice North Carolina Elon at Boston College Louisville they're, they're going to be favored, I, I think, in all those games. I mean, this is something that, like, you might have an undefeated Wake Forest team with Florida State rolling in there. And if that happens from a wagering perspective, which I know we try to work it into the show when we can, you might get Florida State as an underdog here. And if that's the case, I, w- I would pretty strongly take FSU. 